We're talking a little bit about uh, family matters, and in the last week we talked about parenting. This week we're going to talk about parenting. I'll move a little quickly today. To next week we'll talk, just we'll finish up the parenting aspect of family matters. And then on that 2nd of December, we'll, we'll talk about all your exes and how they all live in Texas and, and how to deal with some of those situations uh, in your life. The world is very splintered today. And uh, uh, there, there, are, there are people who you, you used to be related to, who you're not related to, but still have kids with, and there's all that stuff. And, and you have to deal with that. I have to deal with that in this earth. And let me tell you, God's grace is sufficient. Amen. How many of you, first of all, have little kids, like one through five-ish age? Raise your hands if you've got little, little kids. Awesome. What about if you've got those kids like five through 12 that are, that are in that middle group? <laughs> in that, you guys just keep your hands up because I think you got all of them. But how many, <laughs> like 12 through 18, you got teenagers. How many got teenagers? Good stuff. So we'll talk a little bit today about teenagers. For those of you who don't have them yet, you will have them. And uh, how many of you got older kids? I mean, your parents, but they're, they're gone. So that's, that's the rest of us as we go. But I, I, last week, we talked a little bit about, about parenting and how important it is really in, in our life to realize and understand that, that God has given us these kids. And, and our job as parents is to point them in the direction that they need to go to teach them and train them about God, about the word, about loving Jesus, uh, begin to take them on that journey so that when you, you have them pointed in the right direction, it says in the message Bible in, in Proverbs 22, six in the message Bible, it says, point them in the direction that they're to go so that when they get old, they won't be lost. And, and many of us are our prodigal kids. You know, we, we got out there and our parents did a great job with us as we were little and coming up. But we got out there. We got a little lost. But but, you know, we were we were wandering around. But we knew our way home. We knew the truth. We knew that thing, that foundation of the word of God that, that our parents parents instilled in us. We said last week that uh, parenting is awkward, can be a little awkward, but but it's up to us as the parents to embrace that awkwardness. That, that there are things you're going to have to say, there are situations and you're going to have to be in the middle of, and, and they're not pleasant, and, and they are a, t- a bit awkward. They get awkward the older that they get. But if you don't embrace those moments, two things happen. One, you lose an opportunity, and two, you teach them to run away from awkward. And, and we, 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 we can't. How, and I think sometimes in my own life, that, that's the places, even now, at almost 45 years old, when things get awkward, I have to force myself to handle the situation the correct way. Because I want to turn tail and I want to run. And in those situations with your kids, those are great moments to impart in their life. They're great moments to pour into them. You're in the driver's seat, we said, of developing the relationship with God. That is your A, number one job as a parent, is to help them develop a relationship with God. Without that, they're lost. Point them, train them, put them in the direction that they're supposed to go so that when they get old, they won't be able to be lost or they won't be lost. Three things we said, be a do-as-I-do parent, right? This is important, these three things, because it it piggybacks today on these three things. Be a do-as-I-do parent. That means that you're going to have to be the one who models Christ in their life. They're going to look to you as the example of a Christian father. They're going to look to you as the example of the Christian mother, of the Christian husband, of the Christian aunt, of the Christian uncle, of the Christian employee. So when they begin to get older, they begin to get a job, they're going to handle many of those situations the same way that you have come home and handled your employment situation. If you're talking bad about your boss, if you're talking bad about the deal, they're probably, as they grow, going to head that direction because they do as you do. And we said they always remember what you say, and it comes out at bad times. Love the children's pastors because they're the ones who know everything about you. Take time, we said, and pay the price. There are teachable moments that you will find all through their life. 
They don't happen on our timetable. As parents, teachable moments don't always happen at 5.30, sitting around the table at dinner time where we can all crack open a good devotional and begin to talk about it. Those things are great, and you take those moments when they happen, but a lot of these opportunities, especially as your children get older, the opportunities to impart and to train and to teach happen at odd times when your arms are full of groceries, where you've had people in your face all day, and all they want to do is tell you about their little bitty problem, and those are the times where you most likely don't want to deal with them. Those are many times the teachable moments where you need to deal with the situation and instruct. The third thing that we talked about last week was remember they're your kids, not your church. Make fun mandatory. Fun has to be mandatory in your home. I mean, it's got to be a good time. You want to make your house, you want to make your home, you want to make your family a place where your kids feel comfortable and enjoy being. Because they're going to get older, and it's a whole lot better to have a whole bunch of teenagers in your house than to have your kid at somebody else's house with a whole bunch of teenagers. Just a little hint. Now, today we're going to talk about consistency. The, the way you are consistent about applying those three things has a lot to do with how your kids end up and turn out in the end. Will you be consistent, not necessarily predictable? We said children many times are like raptors, right? They test the fence trying to find your weak spots. But let me tell you, consistency builds boundaries that they can't escape. Predictability allows them an opportunity. They will beach your predictability. They just won't come to you. If you do the same thing every time, you act the same way, you respond the same way, this is what you always do. Have you heard that? Dad, you always say that, you always act like this. You never listen to me. You ne- when, you begin, when they begin to tell you absolutes like that, they're telling you that you're predictable. And they already know you won't or they already know you will. And so what that teaches them is how to get around that because they don't want to have to deal with how you will and how you won't. Consistency says that you're going to be the same as far as your principles, your values, what you believe, what you stand on, who you trust. See, consistency, if you look at the definition, says it's constantly adhering to the same principles, free from variation or contradiction, steady continuity. In Hebrews 13, 8. The Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The word of God is consistent from beginning to end. It says God loves you. It doesn't change. The message doesn't change halfway through. Because we make mistakes, the message didn't change and say God hates you now because you've messed up. The message stays the same. He loves you. He sent his son to die for you and for me so that we can live with him forever. And if we will ask forgiveness and repent of our sins, he will forgive them. And he'll bring us back to a place of right standing with him. He's consistently bringing that message across. Jesus lived his life in this earth consistently. He had a a mission statement in his life, Luke 4, 18 and 19. Said he was going to bind up the brokenhearted. He was going to set at liberty those who were held captive. Said he was going to bring recovery of sight to the blind. And he went about his days doing that. But here's the thing, he wasn't predictable because he healed three blind men three different ways. He didn't do it the same way every time. I don't say that your rules and all those things change in your household, but I will tell you this, your children are different. And you can hold them maybe to the standard, like in our house, our house A number one was don't lie. We didn't have a lot of rules. There was, there was a big one, don't lie. Why? Because lie breaks relationship, lie breaks trust. 
And there's going to be a day that I know you're six right now, but there's going to be a day when you're 18 and I got to be able to trust you. Yes, you need to be able to trust me, so I can't lie either. But you, I need to be able to trust you. So that was like rule number one. That didn't change between our children, between Daniel and Rachel. That, that, that principle didn't change. We were consistent in that all the way to the end, even to the point where when Daniel would get in trouble as a little boy, it came back to that, sit down, have a conversation and say, buddy, why are you in trouble? Because I lied. Okay. When do you ever get in trouble? Only when I lie. All right. So we're good. Yep, I'm getting it. All right. But we were consistent in that. In, definitely in that we were consistent. So if you're consistent about things, it says in Ephesians chapter 4 that there's, a, there's, there's pastors, teachers, evangelists, all the fivefold ministry gifts. And, and, and they instruct us, or I instruct you as the pastor, instruct you how to live and do the workings of the ministry. How to share Jesus, how to live Jesus' life in this earth for you. All of those things. Why? So that when things change and it says waves come, it's actually not the Matthew scripture that says be based on a firm foundation, but it says in verse 14 of Ephesians 4 that you are not a child anymore. Why is that? Because of these fivefold folks have been speaking into your life. You've been hearing the word. You've been putting it to practice in your life. You've been, you've been, to your ability, trying to be like Jesus in this earth. You've been trying to do what's right. You've been trying to lead. You've been trying to do those things. So now you won't be like the boat tossed to and fro by all the stuff that happens. I am telling you, your kids, sometimes their life and what they're going through will create storms. It'll be work. Be consistent. Don't get tossed to and fro. If you lose your cool, if you freak out, if you don't handle yourself properly in those situations, they're going to respond the same way. They need the consistent truth of the Word of God, not just spoken to them, but lived for them. My kids have done some things that sent me from zero to 60 in a second. But as I have matured, I have learned to handle things consistently every time. Just going to do what the Word says. We're going to stand firm and stand pat on the things that we believe, and we're going to continue to reaffirm them in their life. It's important. Those of you who have little kids, they're really cute. They do a lot of silly things. But let me tell you, when they get to be 15, 17, 19 years old, they say some things and can do some things that make you want to Take them out. That's why when they're this little, you love them and you cry when you hold them because they're so wonderful. Because when they get bigger, you won't kill them. (laughs) I remember you were like this. For us, we couldn't have any more after Rachel, so I couldn't even say I'd make more like you. I might have gotten rid of one of them, but I couldn't make any more. So that was all we had. Let me tell you, consistent doesn't mean fair. To me, that, that, that's just something that I, that I, I, I say that, I, I believe that. Consistency doesn't mean fair. It doesn't mean you're going to do the same thing. We didn't do the same thing for Daniel that we did for Rachel. And many times we heard it. Daniel said, well, when I did that, I didn't get that. When I did that, you did this. When I, when I did that, you acted like, well, she's different. 
what we believe hasn't changed, but how we implement that in our, in our daughter as opposed to our son might change. Why? Because she's different than him. See, the way that I understand things is different than the way that Daniel understood things. So if I didn't take that into consideration, begin to ask God, how can I, as his father, help bring out all the gifts and talents in him? I'm missing something. Because what I see and how I learn many times is to get in my face and yell at me. Now, none of y'all do this. Don't come to my office and yell at me. But that, that's how, when I was, I got that. I was in sports. My coach yelled at me. I was, I was the whipping boy. I, 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 I did, it went wrong. Get in my face. Well, I'll wipe the spit off, and I'll go out there and do it different. I understand that. Daniel's not like that. I tried. It didn't work. It shut him down. So you know what I had to do? I had to go before God and say, God, I need your help. I, I, I. What works on me doesn't work on him. I tried it. Remember, I dressed him up in his football outfit one time because he was the biggest kid in fifth grade. And I said, man, you could really have your way on this football field. But he was just so nice and gentle. And he would just kind of amble down the field. And, and he, he avoided contact. And he tried to be smarter than everybody. And I wanted him to, you know, knock some people out, man. It's football. So I got him out in the backyard. And we got down, and I dressed him up in his pads, and I started pounding on him. Because that works for me. I mean, show me what I'm doing wrong, I'll fix it. Tell me how to be meaner, I'll be meaner. Tell me how to be tougher, I'll be tough. Just tell me, and I'll get it done. So I'm bapping him around real good, and he's not going for it. He's just, just, you know. And his feelings are getting hurt. It's not that he's not a good football player because he ended up being a decent football player. That was not the way he understood and learned, and I had to really listen to God to know. Finally, you know what did happen? I did push him too far. I ticked him off, and I thought he was going to kill me. (laughs) My little 11-year-old kid was pushing me down the hill as fast as I could run, and he was just giving it to me. You think I, come on, he just went at me, and I was like, yeah, like that, like that, like that, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) you know and you can say well he shouldn't do that i provoked him fathers do not provoke your children to wrath so the neighbors everybody saw that i think elizabeth's at the top of the hill that one just like you're an idiot (laughs) trust god but you have to be consistent don't one day scream at him and the next day ask god be consistent with how you do that consistency builds boundaries for them your kids like boundaries they need them I know they rebel against them. Yes, they will. But they need them. They need structure. They need those things in their life. Kids operate best that way. They can't all understand it. We're going to talk about the differences in parenting age-wise and how this works. They, they, they don't all understand why they need it. They don't under, you know, there's different ways to bring consistency, and there's different ways to bring boundaries in the lives of different age kids. But, but they need that in their life. They need to be able to work and revolve. Why do you think school is so many days and so many hours and classes are so many minutes? And you know what they do? They do the same thing every day. Why? Because it's structure. It's boundaries. It gives them a yes and a no. It gives them a right and a wrong. That helps them. So when you go home from that situation into a lawless society where there is no consistency, where there is no structure, it's difficult because they they need that 
to survive. They just do. Discipline. I, I don't want to get into it deep because you're going to discipline the way you, you discipline. But in, in our world, I will tell you this, you need some absolutes in your life is what is disciplinable and what is, is probably allowable to, to happen. Otherwise, you'll be disciplining your entire life. Because they, they, they are constantly doing something that, that needs discipline or needs correction. And don't you, you, your mothers know that. Like, there's constantly telling people no. Well, then sometimes don't. <laughs> Not everything is a nuclear bomb. What are big things? What are little things? Three big ones that you can think about, though. Really, for us, dishonesty was like the largest one. You've got to be honest. Disobedience. That was important. You can't be disobedient. And disrespectful. Especially with Daniel and his mom, as he began to get a little bit older, he, he began to get a little disrespectful. And so I, I had to begin to correct that. Discipline. Ho- however you do that is however you do that. I do know that the word says in Proverbs that, that you, don't, you don't spare the rod. And you may say, oh, I don't do that. Oh, okay, that's cool. I, whatever, whatever you feel like God's telling you to do, that's, knock yourself out. I'm just telling you, as I explain this here in a minute, you'll see why this works. Proverbs 13, 24 says, He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently and punishes him early. That's important. Proverbs 23, 13 says, Don't be afraid to correct your young ones. A spanking won't kill them. A good spanking, in fact, might save them from something worse than death. Proverbs 19.18 says, Discipline your children while you still have the chance. The New Living says, Discipline your children while there is hope. Otherwise, you'll ruin their life. For us, we had to find out what that was. And in four stages of parenting, I, somebody, I saw this a month or so ago, and it just, just the four steps, none of the stuff that I talk about, that was all what I, what I had in my heart, but but just these four steps like enlightened me. The first step or the first stage in parenting is that age one to five. Those are the discipline years. If you go back and read these scriptures, you look at what it says. It says, bring the, bring the heat, man. Bring the rods. Spank them on their booty when they're young, when you still have hope. How many of you tried to take your 12-year-old over your knee and tried to do that? I, I darn near broke my hand. Elizabeth came home. I came home one day and she said, you're going to have to start hitting him because I, I, I think I broke my hand. He got a caboose on him that was hard as a rock. And then how many of you know, you give him a couple spankings and they go, are you done? Well, yeah, it's because he's 12. You're past, not that you don't have discipline, not that there's not correction, but things have to change. It's difficult. So one through five are the years where, you, where, where that happens. If you read those three scriptures, it says when they're young, while there's hope, while they're, while they're little. Doesn't mean discipline's not there. For us, as we went along in the ages, we had to get more creative with the discipline. Grounding forever doesn't work. Because, kid, that's like going to jail with no hope of parole. They're probably going to murder somebody in there because they're not going to get out anyway. So you ground them for the rest of their life. All right, I've got no hope to be good. Do whatever you have in your heart. I'm telling you, you have to lean on the Holy Spirit in this. We grounded our kids from things, certain things. You know what was really good with them as they were growing up? Elizabeth took away the remote. Awesome. Awesome punishment. I know it didn't say, what do you mean took away the remote? I'm telling you, it changed them. Because neither one of them understood how to get up and turn the channel. And they they weren't grounded from TV. They just couldn't have the remote in their hand. God will give you creative things. 
in your life. And so there they sat. And they're looking at each other. What do you do? I don't know what to do. How do you turn the channel? I don't know. Mom took the remote. She used to take the batteries from Daniel's Xbox controller, send him over the edge. He'd sit down to play, and he can't work. What's the, what's the, what's the, the batteries are gone. And she'll say, I told you you can't play Xbox. This, 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 and this needs to be done. When he was disrespectful to his mother, I told him, here's the deal. I need to come home for the next five days, and I need to see, and I need to hear a good report from your mom, but I need to see that you're being respectful to her because you haven't been explained what respectful was and how he wasn't respectful and how he needed to correct his behavior and how that needed to change. And you know what? When that happens, maybe you get your batteries back for your Xbox. But you know what discipline really is about? It's about restoring relationship. It's about bringing back together. It's not about a horrible punishment. How many of you know you have been disobedient to what God has asked you to do? And what do we do? We repent before him and we change our ways. And what does he do? He brings us right back into right relationship with him. Your kids need to know that you're there for them. It's the same thing we say in love, acceptance, and forgiveness when we talk about the vision of Victory Christian Center here. We, we accept the sinner, but we don't appreciate or like the sin. But we love the person who's made the mistake. Your kids need to know that you love them even though they've made a mistake. Discipline restores relationship in their life. The first, four, first five years or the first stages of discipline really is, is, is to be able to be consistent and to stay true to whatever those things are that you have in your heart. Not everything's a big thing. You can't chase them around all day correcting everything that they, that they do. Now, you can't have them putting their finger in the light socket. You know, I mean, there, there are those. But kids are kids. And you pick those things. Like maybe it is dishonesty that was for us that was the, that was it man if they could be honest with us that was what we wanted to train and teach and correct more than basically anything else was that particular thing because they were going to be 17 years old someday and i was going to have to be able to trust them in what they said because how many of you know you're not with them all the time we didn't chase them around. We didn't put bugs on their cars. We didn't check their Facebook. We didn't, if you do all that, that's awesome. I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing it. Some of those things are needed. But we didn't feel to do that. We allowed them to be kids. But we trained them to be honest. We trained them not to lie. We trained them that that built trust in the relationship. And if there wasn't trust, there was no hope for any of us in what we were doing. But the discipline years are the years where you actually get that opportunity because it's very difficult to take an 18-year-old kid and spank them on the bottom. They hit back. They're big. I mean, you know, it's, it's tough. They could be a little bit out of control. It doesn't work that way. But now watch this. As we go through these stages, listen, if you do a good job at the little stage, the next stage is easier. I have a dog who's fairly trained. And I am not making your kids out to be dogs. But Maisie is fairly trained. I can tell her stuff, and she does it. Daniel's dog, she does nothing. She does whatever her big fat butt wants to do. And she, just, she marches around the house, and she does whatever she wants to do. The only thing she will do is sit. He taught her to sit, but nothing else. Maisie sits, lays down, goes over there. She stays. She does all that kind of stuff. She's obedient. Why? Because when she was a puppy, I went home every day from school at lunch. I had 20 minutes, but I drove home at lunch and spent 15 minutes with her, helping her learn and understand what needed to be done, how she needed to behave, how she needed to act. 
In the mornings, I got up early and I did it. At night, I did it late. I took her for walks all the time. I spent time and effort. Parenting is time and effort. Constant. And if you'll do this when they're little, as they grow, it gets better. The next stage, this, this really helped me as I went through and saw this. The second stage is training. Not going from the dog to training, but, but it's the training years, 5 through 12. This is where you really begin to instill in them the truth that's found in the Word. This is where you begin to instill in them how important it is to have a relationship with Jesus. This is where you begin to instill in them how important it is to be led by the Spirit of God. They don't learn it overnight. They don't learn it today, but they learn it through experience. And you're the one who models it, and you're the one who teaches it. Just like we talked about last week, be a do-as-I-do parent. So there's consistency in the way that you live your life. There's a consistency in how you tell your family testimony. Like she said about tradition, we have told our kids that God is good, that he takes care of us. We didn't say we couldn't afford it. We said, you know what, that's not on the plan right now, or God's going to bring it to pass. Or let me teach you how to pray about it and how to believe God. Let me teach you how to plant a seed in your life and how, you, how seed harvest works when you plant a seed, how you believe and you trust God and you release it in faith, and then he brings those things back into your life. 5 to 12 is a great time to do that. It says, train up a child in the way that they should go. Point them in the right direction so that when they get older, they will not be lost. 5 through 12 is a great time. There's still correction. There's still discipline. They're still doing things that aren't right. But again, we have to remember and realize we've done a really good job here at 1 through 5. And so at 5 through 12, a lot of those issues are taken care of. We didn't fight with those things. We didn't have rebellion. Rachel tried to slam her door once and didn't know how. It was the funniest thing you ever did here. She's tried to stomp down the hall in like, in like little slippers that didn't make any noise and then tried to slam her door and almost got her arm cut off. I and mean, she couldn't even, she didn't do it. They've never raised their voice. They never said, we hate you. They've never screamed at us like that. They've never done any of it. Why? Because when they were little, we worked on those things. You can't be disrespectful. You can't be disobedient. And first and foremost, you cannot lie. When those things happened, we corrected it. But then when they became 5 through 12, we didn't have those kind of crazy times. That 5 through 12 is not a time to reason with your young person. You have to be more creative than that. Because 5 through 12 can't understand reason. Oh, you don't know my kid. They're really smart. No, they're not. They, they can't. Physically, they cannot do it. Their brain's not developed. Their brain is not. I know they're really smart. I know they're the smartest kid that's faced on the planet. But they, they, they can't. You know what you teach them? You teach them how to argue with you. And you teach them how to manipulate, manipulate you. When you begin to reason with a kid who's 5 through 12, they can't understand. They don't care what your philosophy is. They don't care what your reasoning is. You know what they care about? Doing what they want to do. And so they know that if they can outlast you in an argument, they'll get to eventually do what they want to do. You're teaching them to run the show. You can't reason and argue with 5 through 12. They don't understand it. Their brains, their brains are not physically developed. That part of the brain is one of the latest and last to be developed, and it happens in mid-adolescence as they come through the 13, 14 years old. You want to know why your sixth grader is crazy? You want to know why they run around the house and they can't seem to even remember where their underwear is or if they even have any on that day or, you know, they go to school with one shoe on and I had somebody come one day and say, well, they won't wear a coat to school. Yeah, probably not because they probably don't know where it is. I know, but I've tried to teach them. They're sixth grade. They breathe, make sure they brush their teeth, put on deodorant, have some clothes on, send them to school. Because they're going to come back tomorrow and you're going to have to do it all over again. Why? 
because their brains aren't developed. They teach the same thing in a lot of middle school classes for three years. There's a, that's true. There's a reason. I get them as freshmen when I taught math at high school. I would get them as freshman math students, and I'd say, okay, here's the first day. And it used to drive me crazy. We'd have to go over like sixth grade math. But you know what? When they got to sixth grade or when they got to ninth grade, they started going, hey, I've seen that before. That plus sign. I know what that means. You put them two together. It's eight. I don't know how to do it, but I know what it means. Their brains are starting now to solidify. And it's imp- that's why you have to train them. You train them over and over and over and over again. I didn't come home and tell my dog, lay down, and she stayed there for 20 minutes. We did it every day for like six, eight months. Every day. Two, three times a day. Why? Because I was training them. Why? Because their brain's not developed. Now, when they do move into 12 through 18, that's the third stage of this parenting thing. This is different. This is coaching. And you better pray. Because this is what happens. Many of us come to Christ somewhere in here when our kids are this age. And now we come in and we try to implement all this stuff that we're learning in church with a bunch of 14-year-olds who are like, whoa, what are you talking about? You need to pray. You really need God's grace. You need his wisdom. Wisdom of other people is great, but you've got to realize when people ask me questions about their kids, we've been working at this for 18 years. Well, how can I get my kid to be like this? We've got to pray because I don't have an answer because you haven't, you haven't done this for 18 years. I'm not saying there's not hope. There is great hope. God's grace is sufficient. But when you move into this stage, this is coaching. And, 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 and when you coach, you have to understand your, your animal. <laughs> You've got to know what you're dealing with. I coached boys for a long time, and I got that. I started coaching girls, man. It was a whole different world. You got to know your kids. You got to know who they are. You got to know the gifts. You got to know the talents. You got to say, God, help me in this. Daniel was a different guy than Rachel was a girl. I mean, not just guys and girls, but he has different ideas. He had different thoughts than what Rachel does. If we tried to parent her and we did a little bit like him, that didn't work. Daniel was very sensitive when he was a little guy. You could raise your voice and you could swat him a little bit on the bottom and he would cry and he would never do that again. Rachel would just look at you and say, are you done yet? Because I've got TV to watch and I got a light socket to stick my finger in. And if you'll get this over quick enough, I'll get back to my business. She was different. So you have to to learn these things. That's why I say you have to be consistent with the truth in your home, but you're going to implement that truth differently with the little ones who are with you. Don't get lazy and just say one size fits all. It doesn't work that way. When you're in the coaching years, these things are interesting. You've got to realize you instruct, you correct, you have all the responsibility, but you have no control because they play the game. They're the ones who go to school. They're the ones who go to their friend's house. They're the ones who go to the mall. They're the ones who pierce everything on their body when you're not looking. They're the ones who come home with their hair dyed green. They're the ones who come home with all. But you're the coach. So there's a give and there's a take. I had somebody write me a, a, a note, a question, as we asked for questions from people in the church. And one of the questions was, my, my kids are wonderful. They're wonderful kids. They've grown up, and people tell me they're very respectful and, and they, they, all these things. And he said, but, but what I can't understand is, is it, it, when I ask them if they want something, they don't say anything to me. And when I finally sat down and began to talk to them as they got older, they, they said, well, we never had a voice. 
And we never felt like we could, we could say what we felt. And, and I understand this question because we, we were there. Daniel was like this, and it, it comes from me doing it wrong. And, and, and I was shutting him down, and I was telling him the way things needed to be. And it was, I, it was, it was in these early coaching years. I did it when he was 5 to 12 in the training, but I kind of kept through in the 12. I was about 12 years old when I realized I, I am doing this wrong. And I began to ask God how to fix it, how to change me. Not fix and change him necessarily, but fix and change me so that I can parent him in a way and I can instruct him and teach him and help him in a way that he understands and he gets. But I still had to fight that thing that he would not talk. He would not tell me what he... If you have a kid who grows up, part of the thing you're responsible for is developing the relationship with Jesus, yes. But they have to be able to state their mind. They have to be able to talk about what they feel like in their heart. At seven years old, that doesn't necessarily happen. You can't reason with them. But as they become 12 to 18 and their brain starts to function the right way, you have to teach them this. Where else are they going to get it? See, you have to be the one, I have to be the one who begins then to help them structure and organize their thoughts. Begin to process the things that they believe. Begin to understand and, and apply the truth that's in the Word. Be able to sit down and be able to have a conversation about stuff. Those are important things. I told, I told this lady, here's the deal. You never gave them an opportunity to do that. When they didn't talk, you just told them then what they needed and what they wanted. You have to be open, right, for those teachable moments and those times when they come to you or when they're open. Maybe not for your input. They're looking for you to listen to theirs. I'm not saying they're right. Because the backup to that question was, yeah, but I don't want to just listen to everything they say and let them do whatever they want. I didn't say you had to let them do everything they want. But they're to the age now, as teenagers, as they move through adolescence, they're to the age now where they have developed this idea of reasoning. They can now start putting together, I did A and this happened. I did B and this happened. They begin to put all that together. That's why your two-year-old gets shocked one day and does it again the next time. That's why your sixth grader licks that battery over and over and over and over again. When you get a little older, you don't do that. Why? Because you remember that shocked you. So you begin to help them understand. For us, that's when we really began to share and teach about being led by the Holy Spirit. You have to let them make some decisions. It starts early with little things because eventually, remember, they're going to be 17 driving a car. You have to start early so that they learn when they make bad ones, there's bad consequences. I said this in a Wednesday night meeting somewhere along the way. If your kid's having a tough time at school, I'm not saying let them fail, but I am saying you might want to pray about it. I know. I'm a teacher. It doesn't sit well with me, but I am telling you this. They'll learn something in sixth grade. They'll learn something in seventh grade. Because once they get to be a ninth grader, a tenth grader, an eleventh grader, they need to learn a lesson that says I can't fail. I have to do what I need to do. But if you constantly rescue them, you never allow them. See, I'm still talking 12 to 18. I'm not talking about your 6th grader or your 6-year-old. I'm talking about your 12 to 18 through middle school, high school. You're helping them learn as their brains become formulated to make decisions and that there are bad consequences for bad choices. I'm not saying letting them fail. I'm not saying, but I am saying if they're on a bicycle, let them fall off so that someday down the road they don't drive off the cliff. You've learned a whole lot more in your life from the mistakes that you made than the things you did right. And we, my generation, 
We've accepted this thing that says, you know what? I'm, I'm going to save them. I'm going to protect them. I'm going to keep them from all of that stuff. And you know what you've done? You, we've raised a bunch of people who have no idea how to survive out there in the world. And they're going to get eaten up. I'm all about taking care of. I'm all about nurturing. I'm all about loving. But listen, I, I, I mother hen my one to five. I keep on a leash my five to 12. And I have a whistle for my 12 to 18. I'm the coach. Does that make sense? Now, if you're just coming into one of those age groups, you, I'm telling you, you, now you start seeing, oh, man, if I would have done it really good here, it makes this one easy, it makes this one easier. It does. But I'm going to pray for you here in a minute, especially those of you with, with teenagers. Because all of this leads down the path to this 18 plus. That's the last one. That's the friendship years. In John 15, 15, Jesus said to his disciples, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. I'm not saying your kids are your servants. But the reason that he changed that from servants to friends was, he said, I have taught you and shown you all I can teach you and show you. And now we're going to go forward in a little different relationship. When you have these little ones in your home, let me remind you, they will grow up someday. But that relationship lasts forever. They're always, always going to be your son or daughter. I mean, for the first time, Stan called me and said, I don't know what to do. I'm not going to come to victory a couple weeks ago. And he said, we don't have any kids in our house. But that doesn't, they're still your kids. <laughs> they still are. They'll come back. I, 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 am just, I am just somewhat pleading with you to say, Ask God how to get him involved in your parenting. Because we are reaping the harvest now after 23 and 19 years of pouring ourselves into these two. They're not our only responsibility. We taught them how. Daniel said after the first service, we don't, we don't have a plan. Yes, we do have a plan with you. We, wanted, we, we felt to help you become flexible. That no matter what situation you found yourself or saw yourself in, you didn't rule the situation, but you were able to adapt in a relationship, in a conversation, at the grocery store when you were tired and needed a nap. We didn't allow you to go there. We did have a plan. We worked at it. We, we did the same thing you're doing. We stayed up late at nights. We went in our room and cried because we did it wrong. We went in our room and cried because they did it wrong. We, we asked God to help us. We threw ourselves on the altar. But I'm telling you, we, we were consistent. We tried to be as consistent as we possibly could. We made mistakes, and we asked God forgiveness, and, and he gave it to us, and we taught our kids about forgiveness, and we taught our kids about mistakes. We taught our kids about God's goodness. We taught our kids about our tradition. We taught our kids about our family heritage. We taught our kids about our family, our family traditions and the things that we did in our life and, and, and our testimony and how God has come through. Why? So that today they can be our best friend. They weren't made, I, they, they, we got buddy, buddy, chummy, chummy some through there, and I always let them know that you cross a line. But today he's 23, and I'm telling you what, nobody's got my back like that kid. And nobody's got his like me. And Rachel has her ideas, and she's got her world, and she does her thing, but she is part of her mama's village. And I'm telling you what, those two, man, they, they, are, they are tight 
When Rachel went to school and she left last year as a freshman to go to college, it was difficult because she was our daughter and she'd always lived with us, but it was more difficult for Elizabeth because they were best friends. She was on her way to being 19 and she was out of the house and she was, she was reaping a reward of all of those years. You have to do the tough stuff. You have to make the tough decisions. You have to discipline. You have to correct. You have to do all that. Understand the age groups. Understand their reasoning, abilities, and capabilities. Be led by the Spirit of God. And be consistent in what you do. And I promise you, if you do those things, I don't have all the answers for you, but God does. So let's stand up today, and I just want to pray for you. Next week, we're going to share a little bit about all the different things that go on. Maybe some things about being in a single-parent home or about, you know, having kids in your home who aren't biologically yours talk about some of those things like big things little things talk about some of those things like what do I do with these adult kids who have a completely different view of the world than me because I was like that you were like that but right now today just bow your ears I just want to pray for you I really want to pray today for all of you for sure but I want to pray for those of you that have teenagers in your house I know a lot of you got little kids and there aren't too many teenage parents in this group. But if you're here and you got teenagers, just raise your hand. Today I just want, I want to focus my prayers on, on, on you. Father, I thank you. Right now you see the hands of all those. Hey, can you do me a favor? Just come here real quick. Just come here real quick. Just let me pray. Just, just come on down here real quick. I'll just go by and just lay hands on you real quick. But I, Elizabeth's going to come too and we're going to pray. There aren't very many things that I feel like I know. But I've been dealing with teenagers for f- over 15 years like every day. Every day. These last, these last three or four years here full-time have been a vacation. <laughs> but I deal with all you. I'd rather deal with the teenagers. So just stretch your hands out here. This is tough, this is a tough world here. They're going to be all right, though. God knows where they are. So just stretch your hands out here. Elizabeth and I are just going to come and just lay our hands on you this morning. Father, I thank you for each mother, each father in the place today. I thank you, Father, for your wisdom. I thank you, Father, for your creative wisdom to flow in their life. I thank you, Father, that you have given them all of these children, that they have brought them to this point in their life. And I thank you, Father, that as they get to the age of accountability and they get to the age, Father, where we get to release them and let them be men and women of God, I thank you, Father, that they have strength, that they have courage, that they have wisdom. I thank you, Father, that the mistakes of the past are covered up in Jesus' name. I thank you, Father, that your grace flows in their, your grace, Father, flows in their household. Your grace to make them strong in their weakness. Father, I thank you right now. I thank you for wisdom beyond their experience, wisdom beyond their age. I thank you, Father, for your abiding presence in their life and in their home. I thank you, Father, that there's absolutely nothing, there's absolutely nothing, Father, that they face that you, Father, don't have an answer for. And I thank you. Your word says that as we seek, you will find, we will find it. As we knock on the door, it says you will open it. Father, as we ask for your wisdom in James, it says you will give it to us. So, Father, today we ask. We ask for your wisdom. We ask, of course, for your mercy and grace, Father, but your wisdom and revelation to be poured out in our lives. We thank you for it today. Father, in Jesus' name, now before you get done praying, just let me ask you, do you know Jesus? Do you know him as your Lord? Do you know him as your Savior? Do you have him alive on the inside of you in your life? Because that's the most important thing to this whole deal. You can't hear from God if you don't know him. Anybody in the place says, man, i got to get my relationship right with him. Before we move on, anybody at all? 
Now, Father, I thank you for every parent in the house, no matter if they're babies. Father, they've just been born to, to those who are older, Father, and who are now grandparents, Father, and great-grandparents. I thank you for the privilege it is to be a parent. I thank you, Father, that you lead us and guide us and that that job never ends. Father, that relationship goes on and on and on. And I thank you, Father, as we go through different seasons of our life with these. I thank you, Father, that you lead us, you guide us, and you speak to us by your Holy Spirit. I thank you, Father, for divine wisdom. I thank you for creative opportunities and ideas. And I thank you, Father, that the little guys, the little gals that are part of this congregation and part of the adults and the parents that are here today are cheerful, peaceful little beings, Father, who are growing up to be all you created them to be. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Go and be blessed. Have a great day. We hope this message encouraged you. Victor Christian Center is passionate about sharing the love, acceptance, and forgiveness of Jesus. Learn more about us at victorylafayette.org. If you don't know Jesus or maybe you've gotten distracted and stopped following Him, I'd like to pray for you right now. The most important decision you'll ever make involves accepting the love of Jesus and His gift of new life. I'd invite you to make this prayer your own and take this opportunity to begin to follow Jesus. God, I ask you to reveal yourself to me. I want to know you. I ask you to forgive the sin in my life that has kept me from enjoying a relationship with you. Give me a fresh start by changing my life and helping me to follow you from this point forward. I accept your love through Jesus and I commit to trust your plan for my life. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. If you've prayed this prayer for the first time, please get in touch with us and let us know. To learn more about Victory or to contact us, visit us online at victorylafayette.org.